Well, we know who the MVP of the defense is so far this season, but what about the other guys? Who's breaking now? Who's performing under the radar? And who's got the most to prove? We get into all of that here on Locked On Bearcats. Our Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen of every day. We're free and available everywhere that you get your podcast and on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our Lockdown Bearcats YouTube channel. Now up to 528 subscribers in county. 528. <clears throat> so keep those subscribers coming. Follow us too to get an alert every time we drop a new episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside code LOCKED. Get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. It is Thursday, so that means we are joined as usual. He was on our bonus episode Tuesday night, and he joins us every for our weekly conversation. It is my colleague from All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, Russ Heltman. The Bearcats are 4-1, and 1-0, one, one and, oh, and thank goodness they will never have to go to Tulsa again. And after this year, Russ, thank goodness – we, as you and I were talking about Saturday night, don't have to put up with the American Athletic Conference games ever again on television. That was a that was a, slog, a slog, to say the least, there in uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Saturday night. As Luke Fickle said, as Josh Wiley said, I tried to ask him about the chippiness yesterday. Both of them very succinct in saying, we're leaving that in Tulsa. We're looking ahead to South Florida. And that's what we'll go ahead and do on this podcast. That is what we'll do, but there are some things I want to talk about from the Tulsa game, particularly the defense. Once again, a stellar performance, 11 sacks, 15 tackles for loss. You add those up, that's 26 of Tulsa's 83 plays that went for negative yards. Russ Heltman, I got to ask you, um, with this defense, we know who the MVP is, but who do you think is this year's breakout player on defense? For me, the breakout player on this year's defense is a guy that you and I talked about having to be kind of the skeleton key like the man he was replacing turned out to be in 2021. That would be Mr. Jawan Briggs, the behemoth in the middle. I love what I've seen from Jawan Briggs this year. I think he's kind of been the unsung hero of this defense as Curtis Brooks was last year. Briggs with three sacks already as a nose tackle. That is very impressive. 19 sack yards at that. So he's getting deep depth on those tackles as well. Fourth on the team in total tackles. He was PFF's, um, a part of PFF's defensive college football team of the week on uh, this after this past weekend's performance. He was very, very solid against Tulsa. Got great push. Was getting in David, Davis Brin's face up the middle. Did a great job stifling Steven Anderson and the rest of that rushing attack. Alex, he's he's a big, big reason. Him alongside Will Huber, Ivan Pace, that kind of core group in the middle there is a big reason why this rushing defense has been so stout so far this year and why this defense, many are comparing them to 2021, although not quite sure they're at that level in terms of top-end defensive play that we can expect out of them. But you and I didn't expect much of a drop-off despite losing seven players from this defense starter-wise, and there has not been much drop-off at all. And a big reason for that has been Jawan Briggs' play in the middle. Mike was muted there when I was just trying to talk, so that's a... 
Blooper for the day, um, I was saying Jawan Briggs was third on the team, is third on the team, rather, in tackles with 25. If, if you think about it, though, Russ, he's really second because Ivan Pace is so, so far ahead of the next closest to the team in terms of tackles. But also, Jawan Briggs has three tackles for loss and three sacks. He almost to his totals from to my next question, Russ, because um, just a few weeks ago, we learned that Leak Van was going to be gone season with a torn peck, uh, unfortunately. But Jawan Briggs and Jabari Taylor, two guys you mentioned, generating pressure on the quarterback. They played unbelievably against Tulsa this past weekend. What's allowing them, in your in your eyes, in your film study, what's allowing them to generate pressure and get after opposing quarterbacks so well? It's just point of attack and the ability at that point of attack to bring leverage up the middle and get these offensive linemen in the interior moving back on skates. You add in the fact that Ivan Pace is a howitzer, a moving bullet on that field. I mean, when he rushes from three, four yards of depth on passing downs or run blitzes from that distance, the amount of force that hits those offensive linemen when he makes contact is it, it makes my eyes widen every single time I rewatch these games. So I think it's the the hunger, the strength of those guys on the inside, Jawan Briggs and uh, and Jabari Taylor, their ability to get underneath guys, get into their shoulder pads, get leverage, and then the fact that Ivan Pace is clapping guys on the back end about a second later after they make contact, it really just shell shocks all of these defense or all these offensive linemen. And I think it's. It's just a wave of force from one total entity that makes up this trio. And that's the biggest reason I believe they're getting so much push on the interior and why they had the most sacks they've had as a team in over 15 years against the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a I mean, what, what they did on Saturday and limiting Tulsa because we knew Tulsa could run the football. And we knew they could run the football last year and they held them to 36 yards rushing. Uh, truly a remarkable performance by the defense. Let me ask you this, because we talk about this defense comparing them to last year's. Um, is this defense better? Because like Russ, I watched this team and I think last year's defense was so hyper-focused on how good and how dominant Sauce Gardner was that we forgot about how many other great players were on that defense, even though they didn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet. But this year, you look at what Ivan Pace is doing. You look at what the defensive line is doing. You look at what Javon Hicks is doing, who had a really good game on Saturday. Is this defense better, I, I guess I should ask, in terms of depth than it was last year? I think it's safe to say the defense is not overall better than the Black Cats defense we saw last year, which was historic in the low amount of explosive plays they allowed, historic in their pass defense. I believe they had the number one pass efficiency allowed in the entire country last season. So when you add in that fact and you have the type of top-end talent that defense had, this defense, of course, the only real mock drafts that we're seeing for any guys defensively are now Ivan Pace, who's popping up on a couple of those here and there in terms of three-round mock drafts, not necessarily even getting into that first round just yet. I would be kind of shocked if he does eventually get there. But moving on to the actual point, I think there is more depth. I think this team defensively has more depth than it did last year, and I think that's evidenced by the guys that they've lost and not necessarily lost a beat when they've come off the field. Arquan Bush, perfect example. Sure, Justin Harris has to come in, spot duty, gets targeted all 14 times in the second half, 
but he only gives up 40-ish yards receiving, three to four receptions, never gives up a big play, has those pass interferences that you'd like to get um, cleaned up and had another one on Saturday that I'm sure will continue to be a point of emphasis. But that's just one of the examples. Another being Noah Potter and Justin Watley, who had a huge day on Saturday, and Eric Phillips, who I think is going to continue to play really good football for this team. All of those core pieces that you lost for a play here, a play there, given Arquan Bush, or a full season, it's looking like with Malik Van, have been covered up and, and put makeup on, for lack of a better term, pretty succinctly so far. And I think that's a great testament to the recruiting acumen the staff has pulled off over the past few years and the coaching acumen that they have to know what their best players do well and put them in positions to succeed. You mentioned Javon Hicks. When I was watching that game against Tulsa, in that possession where he intercepted Davis Bren, he had a nasty, nasty tackle in the open field. He had a pass breakup on a great hit a couple of plays later, and then two plays after that, he has an interception. Basically, the only you can only have a better stretch of a, as a safety if you intercept the ball in the first play of the drive, essentially. So Javon Hicks, Brian Threats, who got tossed out of that game due to targeting in the second half, the safety play, I think has kind of replaced the cornerback play as the marquee part of this uh, of the back end of this defense. So we look at some numbers. Our good friend Justin Williams over at The Athletic um, in his film review, he gave us some numbers comparing this year's defense through five games to last year's defense through the whole season. Yards per game is down by about 15 yards. Yards per play is down by almost three-quarters of a yard. Points per game up a little bit, but still tied for 34th in the country at 20.6. Gains of 20-plus yards. Last year, they allowed 40. So far this year, 19. Um, gains of 30 yards, 6. Last year, they allowed 15. They do allow opponents to convert 42 or nearly 43% of their third downs, and they convert in the red zone 82.3 or 4, rather, percent of the time. Pass efficiency defense, you mentioned it, Russ. They were first last year. They're 12th this year. I mean, then again, when you lose another worldly corner like Sauce Gardner, you can expect – a slight drop off. Um, defensive first to twelfth is not much given there's 130 no. plus teams. Exactly. Um, where I do worry though is penalty yards per game. Last year they were 71st. This year they're 130th. How many teams wrestle in college football? FBS. I think there's only one more team that could be worse than them in that scenario. And I think, isn't Houston the only team below them? I might be, yeah. They've been really undisciplined this year. And obviously, wow. one team getting the uh, getting the rest of the fundamentals correct and another team not in Houston who is having a disastrous start to their 2022 season. But that's you just hit the nail on the head, Alex. That is the biggest thing for this team to continue to work on. It will not get fixed. Yeah. We know this. If you look back at the overall rankings and penalty yardage and penalties per game under Luke Fickle, throughout his first five years, it's in the bottom half of the NCAA every single season. Now, the key is getting from second to last place to 80th place or 71st place like you were last year to the point where, sure, there are some penalties here and there, but they're not keeping drives alive for the opponent late in the game, on the road, putting them at the one-yard line and making your all-world senior linebacker transfer and Ivan Pace Jr. have to make a play on a tight end to make sure that Tulsa has zero chance of coming back in that football game, which if they would have caught that touchdown, you make it 30, what would have been, 31-28 with an onside kick coming, 
who knows? Crazier things have happened. So they have put themselves in some disadvantageous positions because of either aggressiveness or just sloppy play. And that's something obviously they can clean up and I expect them to clean up. If they're in, if they are averaging 90 yards and penalties every single game the rest of the year, then that would, that would surprise me a lot. It's a question that Luke Fickle's been asked multiple weeks in a row now, and he hasn't really had an answer for it, so hopefully it does get cleaned up. Uh, Corey Kiner, he broke out on Saturday. We've talked about it. We've written about it all this week. Now we'll talk about it here on today's show. Plus, I'm going to ask Russ a question that I heard from a comment, a listener on Cincy 360 on ESPN 1530 with former Bearcats legend Tony Pike and our good buddy Austin Elmore. So we'll get into that. But first, I got to tell you all about Upside, because from cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts, and it really hurts. And that's why I started using Upside, an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. To get started, all you have to do is download the app, use my promo code LOCKED, and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and get paid in comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs. You can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they are they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. All right, so offensively, Cincinnati, Corey Kiner really broke out on Saturday. A good, solid game for the Bearcats running the football. Two running backs over 80 yards. Corey Kiner going over the century mark with 106. Russ, how does Corey Kiner build off of this performance? Just keep doing what he's doing. 253 yards, 52 attempts, 4.9 yards per attempt, five touchdowns. He's kind of in the 130s right now nationally in total rushing yards. We know for a fact that's not what this offense is going to be based around. But I think it can be based around a rushing attack centered on Corey Kiner and it looks like Charles McClellan. Those have seemingly become the bell cow backs for this offense. Ryan Montgomery, we talked about his status last week. We noticed him back at practice. Well, he played well on Saturday in one role. His punt returning role had a career long punt return. Was the special teams player of the week for Luke in Luke Fickle's eyes. So he did a good job there, and maybe that will be his his role going forward the rest of the season. We'll have to monitor it. But right now, it's the Kiner McClellan backfield, and it feels like Corey Kiner is edging McClellan just a little bit for carries yeah. the rest of the year. Although it wouldn't be shocking if they went and split fourteen each or thirteen each against South Florida. Probably more like twenty each because of the twenty eight point spread and how terrible the bulls are we'll get to that in just a little bit but yeah i think just yeah. can you keep pounding the rock keep doing what you're doing if you're Corey kiner and build on this performance which was i believe his first hundred yeah first hundred yard outing in a bearcat uniform and matches michael warren the second for the longest touchdown streak to start a season by a cincinnati running back has scored in all five games a touchdown yeah. apiece yeah, and that's something, too, like when you think about that he was struggling when he was a little dinged up, you look at the um, game log and you see five straight games with the touchdown to start the season. That's really good, Russ. Um, so what makes you think that Corey Kiner could become this lead running back? Because it was a question we asked coming into the season, who was going to emerge as the lead running back? And it's been kind of a, a by-committee approach. McClellan shouldered the load against Miami. 
Um, Kiner, they both had over 10 carries against Tulsa. In fact, it was split about as evenly as you can get. McClellan with 13, Kiner with 12, combining for 193 yards. But why do you think Kiner is going to be the lead back, Russ? I mean, pedigree, talent, just just what you're seeing, the usage in practice. It's just all the signs point to Corey Kiner as a sophomore, a little bit fresher legs. Obviously, Charles McClellan's been through those injuries in his career here at UC, getting to the end of his UC career. We kind of know what Charles McClellan is. We don't yet know what the full potential of Corey Kiner is. So I feel like they're going to try to keep tapping into that throughout the rest of the season. All right. So here's something I heard earlier this week. Um, someone called in a Cincy 360 on ESPN 1530 and suggested that the offense this year is more balanced than last year's. I don't necessarily know if that's true, but it might be a more dynamic offense than last year. What do you think? I think it's definitely more dynamic for sure. I mean, there's more, there are more playmakers on this team than there were on the 2021 Bearcats. Of course you had Jerome Ford. Of course you have obviously Josh Wiley still in there and you had Alec Pierce, but Tyler Scott still coming into his own as a receiver, still dealing with drops last year, still dealing with them this year, but obviously added to the Blitnikoff award watch list today. One of the top 10 players in receiving yardage total and receiving touchdowns. He's making a great name for himself on 17, right around 17 yards per catch, a very efficient mark there. So the fact that you have a Tyler Scott, you have a Nick Mardner who just barely got missed on what should have been the 37th and 38th point of that game on a deep, another deep post route from Ben Bryant this past weekend, Trey Tucker, who I haven't mentioned in this, in this segment, like the depth of talent, the depth of receiving options, Charles McClellan as well, tapping into a receiving acumen that we didn't really see a whole lot of last year. I think there's just so many guys that can make a 20, 30, 40 yard play on this roster and probably two or three more than the offense had last year. I think when you look at you look at right now, the Bearcats are averaging almost 300 yards passing per game. They're averaging over 140 rushing yards a game. Go back to last year. And I'm going to touch on another point this this viewer or listener made. Last year, the Bearcats averaged just 241.2 passing yards a game, 172.9. So that's, I think, last year, if you want to say the offense was more balanced, that's fine. But this year, it's certainly more dynamic. And that's largely due to Ben Bryant's arm. It's largely due to, as you mentioned, the receivers you mentioned with Tyler Scott leading the way. But to me, I look at this, I, I look at this offense and I just, I don't, necessarily think it's more balanced i just think it's like we just touched on more dynamic and for those who think desmond ritter helped out in the run game last year i mean yes he did 335 yards will do that in 14 games which if you average that out if i have my university of cincinnati math skills on me um 355 rushing yards in 14 games that's an average of 25.4 like, Jerome Ford was the lead back, and it wasn't even close. So, it's certainly – so, just that point, I just wanted to touch on there because I I heard someone mention Desmond Ritter helped out in the run game last year, and to a degree he did, but I also think we, we don't really realize how good Jerome Ford was last year. Right. All right. And you look at – Rook, one last point here. I mean, you look at the total, 350. For Desmond Ritter last year, that's including sacks as well. They factor all that in. And Ben Bryant this year, negative 47 total rushing yards because of all the sack total 
uh, yardage he's taken. I mean, it's just obviously Ben Bryant is going to be a detriment to the run game because he just doesn't really run. He did run a little bit on, on Saturday, though. Had picked up a couple key first downs in that game against Tulsa. I was ex- excited to see that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was probably his best running performance of his career, maybe. Um, yeah, definitely in UC, for yeah. sure. Well, we'll get into USF. I mean, uh, I mean, there is a game this Saturday. USF isn't very good. We'll touch on why. Um, and what the, what we expect from Cincinnati this weekend. Could this game be a potential trap game? I know people are ro- I know people listening to this might be rolling their eyes, but could be a trap game for the University of Cincinnati Bearcats. Homecoming Saturday as well. Sold out once again at Nippert Stadium. Bearcats looking for their 30th straight home win. We'll get into all of that after a word from two of our sponsors. All right, so South Florida enters this game one and four, um, and they're really not that good. You, you, we can look at some of their their uh, key statistics, but I look at I first go to the offense. Their quarterback Jerry Bohannon was part of Baylor's Big Twelve Championship team last year. Well, so far this season, he's barely completing over fifty percent of his passes, and he's thrown six interceptions to only three touchdowns. Um, they can run the ball. Brian Batty's averaging 7.7 yards a carry. Feels like he's been there for 20 years. Jerry Bohannon can run the ball, too. He's averaging 5.1 yards per carry. Same, too, with uh, Jaron Mangum at 4.3. So they can run the football, but you look at some of their team stats, um, they are just terrible. They're getting outscored 66-7 to in the first quarter, 72-34 in the second quarter. So they are a bad first-half team, to say the least. Um they run the ball at a 172.4 clip a game. That's good, but they give up over 200 rushing yards a game. They also allow over 206. They also allow almost 270 yards passing per game. So this is a team that I I, I just am going to be honest right now. The line is almost 30. I mean, Cincinnati should be able to blow this team, uh, blow this team out. Does this game worry you in any way, Russ? No, I mean, not at all if you're a Bearcats fan. The only thing that worries you is potentially those penalties start hitting. Potentially you make the wrong mistake at the wrong time. You give up a big play to Brian Batty, who's averaging a robust 7.7 yards per carry this season. And I'm not even going to go there. I can't even come up with a scenario in my mind where the Bearcats can lose this football game. They should obliterate the South Florida Bulls. It should be a beat writer's best dream for this game, getting to write your story at halftime, essentially, because they should wax the floor with this team. And it's a game in a homecoming venue with all the lights brightened up, all the alumni in town, and a great opportunity for UC to put together what I believe would be their first complete game of the season. Throw out the FCS performances. I'm not counting 63 to 10 against Kennesaw State. They did what they were supposed to do there. If no. they come out, cover the spread by a touchdown, two touchdowns, put up a 50-piece, give up less than 14 points, really cement their status in the AAC, that's what I would try to gauge this on if you're a Bearcats fan and definitely at least gauge it on that 28 to 30 point spread, wherever it does end up landing prior to kickoff, because this team is an unmitigated disaster. They, they should likely and will. I, I, I would be shocked if UC doesn't extend their already series high four game win streak to five games in this all time series between them and USF against a team that's 104th in Bill Connolly's S&P Plus. 118th in defensive S&P plus 
offense a little bit better at 79. But yeah, this is a perfect chance to hang 50 points on your first FPS opponent of the season. They win this season was against Howard, and they gave up 20 points in that game. Um, attendance for their last game at home. I mean, this is embarrassing to me. Their attendance at their last home game was 3,708. Russ, where does USF play their home games? Remind me again, and for everybody listening to this. I'm pretty sure roughly a 75,000-seat stadium yeah. that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play in, Raymond James Stadium. So that's going to not look great on television, to say the least. 3,708. I mean, that's like that's like an Oakland A's baseball game. It's like a great American, it's like great American ballpark every single day of the summer. All right. Well, (laughs) that's that that's another unfortunate um thing that we don't have to cover, thankfully, here on Lockdown Bearcats. So this is right before the bye week. This is homecoming Saturday. It's also the game right before a two-game gauntlet on the other side of the bye week that makes me think that this game could be a trap game. Excuse me for Cincinnati. Do you see that, Russ? No, I don't. I don't think trap games exist for Luke Fickle teams. That's the way I'll frame this this segment, this take. I think he prepares them well enough. He, I, Not that trap games don't exist. They, they don't exist for Luke Fickle teams. I think rise-up games are a little difficult for this team sometimes, especially when they're not at Nippert Stadium, when you have to go to the Cotton Bowl and a neutral site and face a team like Alabama. Getting up and being prepared for that was clearly an issue for this team getting up and being prepared for a crowd like Arkansas on the road week one was clearly an issue for this team in the beginning portions of that game. But I have in my time here and from what I can tell doing research before I even started covering the team, this, this is not a scenario where Luke fickle squads come in and play to the level of their opponent. Might be an interesting topic for tomorrow's show. The fact that they don't believe in trap games. And I think if you look at the previous four years, those numbers would suggest they do not. Um, so let's transition to this because I don't – Luke Fickle hasn't been asked this, but going forward on fourth and one from the 19-yard line was aggressive. But does it also suggest that Luke Fickle doesn't have confidence in kicker Ryan Coe? Uh, I don't – I mean – it's tough. This is a tough one for me right here. I've been mulling this over since you sent me the rundown this morning. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say he has, he doesn't, he's lacking confidence in Ryan Kell. I think every college coach, unless you have Evan McPherson at Florida two years ago or Justin Tucker, I don't even know where he went to school, but Jackson. Justin Tucker in college, every head football coach at the FBS level has trepidation at some level about their kicker. And I think, when you have the opportunity to take an even extensive or extend your lead even more with seven points with your best playmakers and the harder your offense working well in terms of that passing game at that point of the contest against Tulsa, as opposed to going with your field goal kicker and Ryan Coe, who at that point in the game was 50% on field goals for the season. I think it's a pretty easy decision to make. And it's a decision that you're seeing coaches at all different levels make throughout throughout the NFL college, like John Harbaugh, a perfect example. He chose to leave the ball in his best playmaker's hand last week, as opposed to letting Justin Tucker kick the easy field goal. And then you have to still defend the full length of the field anyways. So it's very fun to have these debates. And in this 
this exact debate, I wouldn't say it's a lack of total confidence in Ryan Coe, but it's the overall lack of confidence in college kickers that makes you make that decision. Interesting. All right. So you mentioned his name. I'll transition there. Sunday night in the Charm City. Have you, have you ever been to Baltimore? I have not. I would love a crab cake. I need to get out there. Yeah, they do have some good crab. Um, <laughs> anyway, Sunday night football, Bengals and Ravens. Russ, you also write for all Bengals. You do the Bengals bets every week for James Rapine, our good buddy, his uh, his website, All Bengals. Um, as far as this game, um, how excited are you for this game? First, how big of a game is it for the Bengals? I am as excited as one could possibly be for this game. I think it's been since 2015 that the Bengals have played in back-to-back primetime games, and it's been at least three or four yeah. years, I believe, since they have played on Sunday night football. So this should be a lot of fun, a huge, huge divisional battle, first place in the division on the line, pending tiebreakers, all that stuff. But obviously that'll get worked out throughout the rest of the season. And this is a massive game for the Cincinnati Bengals. It's a chance for them and their defense in particular, I think, to make a statement. I don't know that this is still going to, I don't know that they're going to get things figured out this week. They might still be a little shaky. They might always be under Zach Taylor, an inconsistent offense. But what they do have is an elite defense right now under Luana Rumo. Yeah. I believe they communicate and they coordinate their roles in secondary, particularly in coverage, better than any defense in the NFL. They're always on the same page. And they're going to have to be on the same page against a guy like Lamar Jackson, who yeah. has started his career very well against the Bengals, Alex. But over the last two outings, it did not go quite as well. And I'm very interested to see what kind of things Greg Roman, Baltimore Ravens coordinator, has cooked up to at, unlock his quarterback a little bit more against this defense. And on the other side, what Mike McDonald is going to adjust with his defense and the aggression they showed that bit them badly last year in those just bonkers Joe Burrow passing performances. How did they adjust that game plan? Yeah. It's all going to be a lot of fun Sunday night. 941 passing yards for Joe Burrow combined in the two games last year. Seven touchdowns. Only one interception, really that one interception, I'm not even going to fault him for that. That was just him trying to make a play, and the best corner against the best receiver made the play. So there is that. Um, huge game. And I think, like, for me, what this game means, if you, because, Russ, like, there are those who are still going to say right now that the Super Bowl run was not a fluke, or was a fluke, excuse me. You go in on Sunday night football into Baltimore and win, I think that'll prove that last year's run was not a fluke because the Bengals didn't have any primetime games except for one last year. This year, they've got five. They've already won their first. Joe Burrow, fun fact, 3-0 and in primetime games. And, but here, but you got to remember something too. Like This is the Bengals' first Sunday night game since 2018 against Kansas City. I don't think we need to mention that game uh, too detailed. I think that wasn't um, the that the game where they got football? wasn't that when they started three and one and then got absolutely bricked yeah. by Kansas City. It was like the most fraudulent three and one of all oh, yeah. time. I remember talking to my buddies like this is not a three and one football. It's like the Giants this year, essentially. Yeah. Well, it was actually four and one, so even better. Four and one, yeah. Um, yeah. So they're 0 and eight on Sunday night football since 2006. So there's that for you. Don't but, love that. But <laughs> That was when Al Michaels was calling play-by-play. Play. Now you got Mike Tirico. And Marvin Lewis was at the helm, so. 
True. Oh, that's on the, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Hmm. All right. All right. Um, one final question. Because I heard you talking about this with Josh Wiley uh, earlier this week at practice. How would you assess the tight end play so far this season for the Bearcats? I talked about Jawan Briggs being the skeleton key for this defense. Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor make this offense go. They are in that same exact role on the other side. I I don't know. I told this to Josh, and he and he kind of agreed with me. But uh, I, I told him like I don't notice it as much watching the games because you're focused on the ball. You're focused on Bryant passing it downfield or Kiner taking it upfield after he's already got done with his blocking. But then you go back and rewatch the games, and I try to focus on the trenches a little bit more and the great positions that Nate Letton and Gino Guadulli, the tight ends coach and, and offensive coordinator of the Bearcats, put Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor into to make play ceiling blocks, to make big play defining blocks in this offense is really cool to see. They get them out there as the fullback sometimes. They get them off kilter, off the line of scrimmage. They make a lot of huge, huge blocks in this offense that unlock those deep post routes to Tyler Scott, that unlock the deep dig routes to Trey Tucker. That unlock the second level runs that we were starting to see this past weekend from Charles McClellan and Corey Kiner. So those guys, obviously, fifth, I think, and seventh or eighth in total receiving yards this season on the team. Still uh, still hovering right around 100 yards total between the two of them, even though we are five games into the year. But despite that lack of raw production that you can see on a screen when you look up the stats offensively, they have been so, so, so crucial to this team's ability to spread out defenses and attack them vertically. That blocking has been massive from the two men on the outside of the offensive line, Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor. They've been great this season. No, it has. And I, I look forward to, I, I think it's great too. Cause like they don't have to be catching touchdowns, especially with the deeper, deeper receiving core that they have this year, the bear here. So it's great that they are impacting the game in more ways than just when the ball is in their hands. Um, Russ Heldman is on Twitter. You can follow Russ on Twitter at Russ Heldman 11. He's a producer and host at WMKV 89.3. He, of course, is also my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated. And he's going to be on here quite a bit coming up uh, the rest of this month. Of course, next Thursday for our weekly conversation about the Bearcats USF game. Hopefully, we're not talking about 11 penalties for 100 plus yards. And hopefully, we're talking about what I think is going to be a 55 17 win for Cincinnati. I'll throw that out there. Um, like so that's that's next Thursday. Friday, Russ, if you're interested, uh, and we can record this way in advance if you need to. Um, since we're going into the bye week next week, we're going to talk some hoops, uh, basketball preview. You and I will give our basketball, do our basketball preview show. That'll run next Friday. And then, Russ, Thursday the 20th, the 20th, yeah, the 20th, also my mom's half birthday, um, we will be back Uh leading up to a huge road game in SMU. And then, of course, the following Thursday, Russ, against UCF. Oof, that's going to be a – that's a, as you said earlier, a rise-up game for the Bearcats and Luke Fickle. Russ, you will be at the game on Saturday covering it for us at All Bearcats, correct? I will actually be out of town this weekend. have a, have a uh, prior commitment that I had to fulfill. But I wish everybody – the best of luck at the homecoming festivities. Hopefully it's a, it's a lot of fun and a lot of Bearcats fans enjoy yeah. themselves in what should be, like you said, a, a drubbing of South Florida before they take on SMU and UCF back-to-back, who, funny enough, are playing this week on the first weeknight game of the AAC schedule against one another. So that's a yeah, that, big that, one that Bearcats fans will probably, probably – they know the result of the game already if they're listening to this, but yes. it was a big one in the conference. 
See, this is the this is the logistics you have to figure out with podcasting because of the timing. Like we recorded this Wednesday before the game, but as you're listening to this right now, the game already happened. So we don't know the final score, but you do. How's that for time travel? Uh, anyway, um, Russ Heldman, thank you as always for joining us and uh, safe travels to wherever you're heading this weekend. And uh, we look forward to talking to you. There's, you know, an emergency commitment, you know, a, a podcast that we do bonus wise. But uh, thank you as always, Russ, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yes, of course. Hopefully there's an emergency pod down the pipeline. That means great news for Bearcats fans. It was a lot of fun, Alex. Talk to you next week. Yes. Always a lot of fun talking to Russ Heldman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated. Tomorrow game preview against USF. Trap game? I don't think so, and I'll have the numbers to tell you why it's not. We'll look at trap games in years past. Plus, my keys to the game, matchups to watch, and score prediction where this matchup will be decided. Homecoming Saturday for the Bearcats. You know the drill, how we do it on game day. Game recap will be up by 10 o'clock Saturday night. Full disclosure, I, I will actually be out of town for the game too, but I'll be watching from Clemson, South Carolina. Looking forward to that. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Frankie underscore Natty with two N's, N-N-A-T-I. You can also follow me on Instagram, AlexFrank9 underscore, or email me at Alex3Frank at gmail.com. Lockdown Bearcats is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, for your second listen, go make it locked on Big 12, your daily one-stop shop, 30 minutes, get you caught up on the Big 12 with host Josh Neighbors and the local experts of Locked On. Um, it's interesting news I just saw. Um, yeah, part, yeah, locked on Big 12 is your second listen at locked on Big 12. I, of course, am Alex Frank for Locked On Bearcats. Thank you, as always, for making us your first listen every day. Stay safe, stay healthy, and... Keep making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. Back tomorrow with the game preview leading up to the Bearcats and USF. Until then, I'm Alex Frank for Lockdown Bearcats, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.